Sluts and Scholars, a podcast for professionals who prioritize pleasure. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Sluts and Scholars is a podcast produced by Sluts and Scholars Media, LLC. It is a shame-free educational podcast made for your entertainment and informational desires only. The podcast, any opinions we share, and any resources, including social media and emails from us, are not therapy, medical care, or professional advice, and do not create a patient-client relationship. None of the information, opinions, suggestions, resources, or exercises mentioned in this podcast should be used without clearance from your healthcare provider. All opinions, information, and ideas expressed by the guests are solely their own. If you need emergency mental health or medical help, please call 911 or 988 or go to your nearest emergency center. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I am joined by Dr. Emily Jamia. She is a sex and relationship therapist based in Houston, Texas. With over 15 years of experience, she has helped thousands of people create connection and cultivate passion. When she's not seeing clients, Emily researches the relationship between flow and sexual satisfaction, which is what we're going to be chatting about today. She also serves as an expert speaker for both public and private events, and her expertise has been featured in the likes of Oprah Magazine, CNN, USA Today, BBC, NBC, and more. She hosts a popular podcast that I will be joining on as well called Love and Libido, writes columns for Healthy Women and Psychology Today, and posts across all the social media channels at Dr. Emily Jamia, which the links will be in the episode description. Uh, stay tuned because her book, The Anatomy of Desire with Flatiron Publishing, will be released in 2024 uh, in her free time, which is very important. She enjoys spending time with her husband and children, traveling as much as possible, and salsa dancing and painting when she gets the chance. Welcome, Dr. Emily. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> okay, so flow state. Yes. I feel like I know what this is for non-sexual things, but how would you describe flow state? So I think it can be described the same, whether we're talking about it in non-sexual things or in the bedroom. So flow is the state that you're in when you are engaged in an activity in which you experience things like full absorption, loss of space and time, total concentration, rapt attention. There's a sense of effortlessness and ease with whatever you're doing. You're in the zone. So think of a surfer who describes being at one with the wave or your friend who's addicted to the runner's high. That's a flow state. And historically, flow has been researched across non-sexual activities like the ones that I just described or painting. A lot of times I think we can think of flow happening in things that involve physical activity or some kind of artistic activity, things like painting, music. And, you know, I've been in the field now for over 15 years and worked with hundreds, if not thousands of couples. And I noticed at one point that I could help them overcome things like low desire or difficulty with orgasm or erectile dysfunction. But every now and then I would have someone come back who was wanting more, more passion. Of course, that was always the word that they used. And, you know, they want... they as I started paying attention to the specific language that they were using, I realized that they were using flow state language. And this was, you know, I had learned about flow state in my um, undergraduate program, 
but never heard it applied to sex. So I turned my attention to the literature to see what I could find. And I came up completely blank. Like there was one paper, I think, that looked at flow state among couples who practice BDSM, but I kind of wanted to know like if just the ordinary couple could experience flow state. So I set out on a mission to get some answers and initiated a research study looking at the relationship between flow and sexual satisfaction and um, found a lot of interesting nuggets that now I've created into a workshop and my book and trying to just get the word out to people as much as possible. So that's what we can dive into today. Yeah. So for me, flow state, I would say what usually gets me there is bilateral stimulation. So for people who don't know what that is, it's like in a crude definition, side to side movement. Um, this is the same kind of thing they use in, uh, EMDR type therapies and things like that. So for me, when I'm walking or when I'm biking, so it's like the left, right, left, right, Mm -hmm. like doing this kind of, um, monotonous side to side, you know, brain stimulating side to side activity. Um, Mm -hmm. that's what gets me into flow state. What have you sort of found in your experience and research that helps people get into flow state? So, you know, I noticed probably for my own non-sexual experience of flow, you know, as you were reading my bio, you mentioned that I like salsa dancing and painting. And those are two things for me, particularly the dancing, because I've always been a dancer, whether it's ballet, you know, as a kid, jazz, tap, modern, and as an adult salsa dancing, like that's how I found my flow. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I noticed that when I was doing things like that, there was that full absorption, loss of space and time, you know, you forget to eat, you forget to drink water, you know, like when I would go to the salsa bars and come home, like drenched and sweat, feet aching, but I had no awareness of the pain because I was having so much fun. And so I thought, you know, what can I do to start teaching couples how to apply this to their sex lives? And through my research and interviewing different participants, couples who experienced like really high levels of sexual satisfaction, who scored kind of in that flow state level um, for the sex that they were having, there were a few themes that popped up. One, and this, you know, mirrors what has been found in other research on high sexual satisfaction is that they prioritize it, they plan it, you know, and time and again, and I'm sure you hear this too, people think that great sex should happen spontaneously and without any effort. Right. And it's so counterintuitive because to get that sense of effortlessness, there has to be a little preparation. And one of the things that we apply from flow state science is the four stages of flow. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people think of flow as just happening like a flick of the switch and it doesn't work like that. There is first the struggle phase and that's where there's a lot of effort at hand. So think, you know, a surfer has to spend time waxing their board. They have to paddle out. They have to wait around for a good wave. An artist has to mix their oils, prep their canvas. And we have to think of sex the same way there. You cannot expect to go from the craziness of your day-to-day life to a flow state. The minute you hop into bed, there has to be a little bit of a transition period. And I think in particular, an unwinding period, a calming of the nervous system. Yeah. The the ritual. Ritual. Yeah, exactly. And I just don't think people give sex the time and attention it deserves. And, you know, not surprisingly, end up feeling sexually dissatisfied. Yeah. You know, we know from other research that once attention is broken, it takes an average of 25 minutes to get back into a focused state. Mm. And most people don't even have sex that lasts that long. So, you know, we live in a culture that 
that celebrates multitasking and doing, we, we have become human doings as opposed to human beings. And so you cannot expect when you're training your brain all day long to have split attention to then snap into the singular focus of a sexual experience and be able to be fully embodied and simultaneously attuned to the cues of your partner. It just doesn't work like that. And so one of the things I tell people, and this popped up a lot through my research, was, you know, on days where you are hoping to have better sex, try mm-hmm. to slow down a little bit throughout the day, whether that's yeah. something as simple as just sitting and savoring a cup of coffee, quite literally stopping to smell the roses and, you know, avoid multitasking as much as possible, just so that you can begin the process of quieting down the nervous system. And then to your point, starting the ritual, you know, do you need freshly laundered sheets? Like what can you do to make your environment really conducive to focus and talk to your partner about that and make sure everyone is on the same page. So that's one thing is making, creating an environment that's conducive to focus and attention and giving yourself enough time during a sexual experience. I hear from women in particular that they have such a difficult time quieting down the mind and getting into the body. And I think, yeah, you know, that's because women, if we're talking about like heterosexual couples, in particular, are just carrying a little bit more of the mental load and the never-ending to-do list and the managing and that sort of thing. And so I think, um, you know, when I'm working with heterosexual couples, like I'll talk to them about, okay, what can you do that day to take some things off your partner's plate, your female partner's plate, so that she can have a chance to start quieting the mind and getting in touch with her body because it can take women a little bit longer. So that's one thing. We know from the flow research that there are essentially eight components of flow and you don't necessarily have to hit all eight all at once, but there are a few that I like to highlight as they relate to sex because I, I really think this is attainable for everyone. And so much of it is shifting our mindset and the way we think about what makes a great sexual experience. So another one is the challenge skills ratio. What that is in flow state research is if you think of an XY axis with challenge on one axis and skills, your skill set on another axis, we know that when the challenge of what we're doing is too far above our skill set, we feel anxious or scared. Think of like playing a tennis match against someone who is way more advanced than you. Like you're not going to have a very good time. You're not going to get into flow. Yeah. Versus, you know, and when we're doing something that's too far below our skill set, we feel bored. You only need to be doing something that is just 4% greater than your skills in order to get into flow. And I think this gives us a new way of thinking about the importance of sexual novelty. Because a lot of people hear, oh, it's good to try new things sexually. And it's true. I mean, we know from the research that people tend to be more sexually satisfied when there's a variety of things that they do sexually. But if it's too, if it's too novelty, then it's overwhelming. Exactly, exactly. When it's too much, it can be way too overwhelming. And I like to encourage people to change the way that they think about what's new. Sometimes it's not about thinking about the things you want to do sexually, but like how you want sex to make you feel. You know, do you want to use sex as an opportunity to surrender, to connect, to feel romantic, to play with power, to feel dominant, to feel submissive, to celebrate, to comfort? Like sex can do so much for us. And so sometimes just thinking about how you want to feel sexually and telling your partner how you can work together to maybe adjust what you're doing to fit that, like that can be such a subtle shift and open up a whole new landscape and bring in that sense of novelty. So there's just so much I think that we can apply that can can make sex really great when we 
applying the flow state science to sex. One thing I'm thinking about for that like struggle portion and what you were talking about with like how long it takes to get back to attention. um, What have you seen maybe be different or overlapping for folks who have ADHD or neurodiversity? Like, I guess I'm wondering what the difference is between hyperfocus or the similarities Mm -hmm. between hyperfocus and flow state. And is it harder to get into flow state for those folks? Sure. That's a great question. So people who are hyper-focused, I think can get into a flow state a bit easier because part of their, you know, the nature of their hyper-focusing is tuning everything out. And so as long as the hyper-focus is on the thing you're wanting to do. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Like if you're wanting your hyper-focus to be sex and pleasure, but instead you're thinking about, um, you know, the origin of, uh, a certain type of owl in your uh, <laughs> ecosystem. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So you if have that's to hot for you, great. Right, right. Whatever gets your juices flowing. But, uh, you know, and then on the other set, side, people who have that more kind of split attention ADHD, these folks are actually really good at bring, coming up with new ideas to keep sex exciting. So there can be benefits of having a partner with ADHD because they tend to need a little bit more novelty to keep things stimulating and exciting. And the other thing is that novelty and focus feed off of each other because if there is some if you're doing something new, there's a little bit of a learning curve which means you have to focus on it. Yeah. So the two can definitely work together. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, you were naming kind of the eight components and you talked yeah. about the the first. What's what's next? Okay. So let's see if I can like memorize all eight components. So focus, we've talked about challenge skills ratio. Um, okay. There's a, this isn't listed as one of the eight components, but it's a phenomenon that happens during flow, which creates some of the components. So I'll break it down. It's something called transient hypofrontality. Okay. Okay. So what this means is the prefrontal cortex, which Mm -hmm. sits in the front part of our brain, you know, this part of the brain is involved in higher order thinking, rational thinking, decision-making, planning. And it's kind of where we're people who have a hard time shutting off the mind is because the prefrontal cortex is just active. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of chitter chatter happening. When we're in a flow state, this part of the brain quiets down. You're having, um, are you seeing that? Yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. Okay. For people not watching, um, oh <laughs> Dr. Emily's background just had fireworks, which I have never seen on Zoom before. It was wild. I don't okay. know. I don't know what message from the universe that shit was, but something is trying to get with you. Literally my hands. You see me, I'm talking with my hands like they haven't touched my mouse or my keyboard. No, that's wild okay okay well i'm gonna interpret that you are on the right track we're celebrating that you're on the right track that's my interpretation should i keep talking am i hallucinating no i was like am i stroking out (laughs) (laughs) okay well anyway that's so cool i don't even know how to i don't even know how to make that happen i i have no idea what just happened that's crazy wild okay (laughs) <laughs> well, I love okay anyway so we got gonna interrupted. Have to put, you're gonna have to put that clip on your Absolutely. YouTube or Instagram or whatever got interrupted from flow state crazy yeah sometimes there's distractions in my opinion erotic wellness and sexual health isn't just about sex it's also about taking care of yourself mind body and spirit this includes the things you put in and on your body if you listen to this podcast you know I advocate for having self-care rituals to practice receiving care to exercise self-love, and to improve your relationship with yourself and your body. 
If you are ready to gift yourself and your loved ones this level of care, check out Osea. Osea is a vegan, cruelty-free, seaweed-based skin and body care brand that is ocean-positive, female-founded, and family-operated since 1996. For a limited time, you can get 10% off with my code SCHOLARS. Just go to sluttyscholars.com, click on the Osea link, and the link is also in the episode's description. My favorite things that they currently have include the Vegas Nerve Collection. This one comes with a book called Accessing the Healing Power of the Vegas Nerve, which is a subject near and dear to me personally and professionally. You've probably heard me talk about this with trauma and stress healing. It also comes with an oil and a pillow mist. I also am really loving the Undaria Algae Body Oil during these dry months, and they are actually offering a best-selling Undaria Body Holiday Set with some big discounts. Uh, It's a limited edition, full-size body care duo for firming hydration and a full body glow, and it's currently 33% off its usual price. This set includes the Undaria Algae Body Butter, which is anti-aging and hydrating, and the Undaria Algae Body Oil that I love. So come moisturize with me and Osea and get those holiday gifts ready. For a limited time, you can get 10% off with my code SCHOLARS. Just go to sluttyscholars.com and click on the Osea link. The link is also in the episode description. Now back to the episode. And now we're coming back. Now we're back. We're coming back. Okay. So the prefrontal cortex quiets down and it's this phenomenon that gives us a feeling of loss of space and time because The way we understand time happens also in that prefrontal cortex. So five minutes can feel like three hours or two hours can feel like five minutes. It gives us that sense of complete absorption, a sense of merger or unity in whatever it is that we're doing. So it's that like, you know, two become one feeling that people can have during sex. Um, Or if there's more than two people, you know, it can feel that sense of unity, like cohesiveness, feeling like everything and everyone is in sync. And so that's a really cool phenomenon that happens during flow as well that creates some of those other components like sense of effortlessness and ease, a feeling of being in control. Um, And and let's talk about control because that's another one. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people think of control being mutually exclusive from surrender. And one of the things that I, my clients complain about all the time, in particular, my female clients is an inability to let go or surrender to the Mm -hmm. sexual experience. And a lot of times they think that's because they have to give up control. We know from, from flow research that control and surrender are dependent on one another. You cannot surrender unless you are also in control. The analogy I like to give is a snow skiing analogy. So for anyone listening who is a snow skier, and this really applies to anything, think of how immersed you feel when you are flying down the mountain, only if you are in control of your skis, okay? Mm -hmm. If you are not in control, then you feel rigid, off balance, scared. So you have to be in control in order to surrender to the experience. And I think as it relates to sex, this is where feeling emotionally safe really comes into play. Um, Like I think back on Sue Johnson's work, and I think it was Sue Johnson who said something like, you can't, unless you're fully strapped into the the roller coaster, you can't let go and enjoy the ride. And I think the same applies here. It's only when we feel really safe and secure in our relationship that we can totally let go and surrender to the experience. And so it's, it's, again, it's a new way of thinking about some of these concepts. 
just to use an example from that I see a lot in my practice for folks who have that kind of control versus surrender struggle, let's say, um, you know, an assigned female person with a vulva person is struggling to orgasm. Um, I see this a lot where the, the control and the surrender piece, any sort of tips or analysis kind of, of like what that balance could look like for someone who is struggling to have partnered orgasms. I think one of the things that is so, so, so key for women Volvo owners to have better orgasms, orgasm more easily is feeling that sense of safety with their partner. I mean, I hear from women time and time again that they can't have an orgasm during partnered sex Mm -hmm. if it's a brand new relationship or if there is relationship conflict or if they're still kind of learning how each other's bodies work. And so it's important to give yourself time and space to get there. Um, Again, thinking about someone who gets into flow with just about anything, you don't experience that as you're learning something new. Like you don't get into flow when you're just taking up painting or just taking up dancing or just taking up surfing. Like it, it happens over time and with a lot of practice and the same applies to sex. I think a lot of people think that they're in a flow state when they're, you know, in the honeymoon period. And there may be elements of that there. And we can kind of talk a little bit about what happens neurochemically in the honeymoon period versus yeah. flow state if you're yeah. interested. Yes, I am. Um, but back to orgasm, it's something that I think is can be learned, but only after a period of time and practice has gone by. You know, you just can't let yourself get too frustrated and throw the towel in if it doesn't happen right away. Usually it it just takes that time. Like a think of a pair of ballroom dancers, you know, how they seem to move as one unit, but they didn't move like that when they first started dancing together. It came Mm. after years of practice. Any tips to help people stay in the practice, uh, to get to flow state? Because I think a lot of people, um, struggle with putting that work in or just struggle with like trusting that it's ever going to happen. Um, yeah. and they get more in their head, which gets in the way of flow state. Yes. Like, how do we, how do we continue to help normalize that? I think self-compassion comes into play here. Um, you know, you don't, you are going to have, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when you're going to have an off day or just feel out of sync or disconnected. Yeah. And it's right. really a matter of trusting the process. Um, and also being regular with it. I mean, you're never going to get into a flow state if you are very rarely having sex. Like it's just not a reasonable expectation to have. And so, Mm. you know, I also think that there, if we're thinking of like couples who have longer term relationships, there may be periods in the relationship where you are just out of sync for whatever reason. Maybe you've got little kids at home or you've got other stuff going on. You're taking care of a older parent, something like that. That's going to create, you know, just make it a little bit more difficult. I think to feel that feeling of being in sync, but um, what I have found and what my research participants have said is that when there are times when they have this really optimal sexual connection, it makes all this like more mediocre sex easier to manage. Like they don't worry about it too much. It doesn't necessarily feel like bad sex because that heightened energy from the great sex carries over. Well, I think like you said before, a lot of people aren't giving themselves the time and permission to get into flow state um, or to like set that up because it's you're describing flow state you're like, people are losing time and you're just really present and it could go on for a long time. Like you don't even know Mm -hmm. 
you know, you're, you're so focused in the moment. And so I think a lot of folks don't give themselves permission that that's okay to have that because they're like, oh, well, I have something to do later, or I have so many things on my to-do list. And so any, any helpful advice for people who just like, aren't giving themselves, giving themselves permission for the time it takes to prepare for and get into flow state. My best piece of advice would be to stop thinking of sex as having a beginning, a middle, and an end. Rather, think of it as this kind of constant energetic charge in your relationship that you can either turn the intensity up or down. Mm -hmm. And I think when we think about it that way, whether it's flirtatious text messages being sent earlier in the day, or maybe like for whatever reason, the you start having sex and it kind of plateaus or you're feeling off, like don't think of that as being necessarily the end. The end. Just right. think of like that as a continuation of the struggle phase that you'll pick back up on the next time that you're together and have the opportunity rather as like completely starting over from scratch. Totally. So it's, again, it's this, I keep coming back to it, but it's a shift in mindset. Do you think people can live in flow state? Not constantly, no. <laughs> yeah, especially like you were saying, like you don't eat, you don't whatever. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it like makes you forget the pain that you're in there. It would be kind of dangerous if we were always in a flow state. What do you think is the difference between embodiment and flow state? Because I guess when I think of it be embodiment being in the body, like you are aware of your needs moment to moment, but that sounds a little bit different than flow state. Flow state sounds a little more like a high. So, okay, so no, embodiment is an element of flow state. And, but what you just described the awareness of that's more mindfulness, which is different. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's a difference, I think, between mindfulness and embodiment. If you're mindful, you're not really in flow because there's this sort of constant awareness of when we're embodied, it's awareness as. So it's like this, I'm totally blanking on the guy's name, but he's an embodiment expert. And he talks about how mindfulness is an awareness of the body. Embodiment is awareness as the body. Mm, so it's mindfulness just, is in the mind yes, and embodies in the body. Exactly. So mindfulness involves a lot of work. Like there's a lot of attention. It's that that prefrontal cortex is engaged mm. when we mm-hmm. are practicing mindfulness. And mind, as opposed to just, wrong, just being. Just being. Exactly. And don't get me wrong. I mean, mindfulness is wonderful. And there's a lot of research to support how mindfulness can help people overcome a number of sexual issues. But if we're thinking of satisfaction as happening on a spectrum, I think of mindfulness as getting you from like bad sex to better sex, but then embodiment getting you from better sex sex to great sex. (laughs) Yeah. You were mentioning earlier, some of the like pre stuff, um, like the struggle, were there any, was there anything else on that, that we missed in terms of the, like the preparation? Um, well, so what happens, so it's the struggle phase and then, and then the release phase is the second stage. So that's when you, it starts to feel less like work and you start to enter into more of a relaxation. And that's when the surrender begins. And then you get into flow state. And then the fourth phase is integration. And that's where kind of muscle memory and and learning and, you know, neural connections are made about the experience. And so the more you get into flow state, the easier it's going to be each time in Mm. most cases. Yeah. Can you like paint me a picture with a sex example of that sort of arc that you're describing from the struggle to the integration? Sure. So you come home from work. It's been a busy day. 
but you decide that you are going to put your phones on airplane mode because you want to try to set aside time to have great sex and not just mediocre sex that night. And you're cooking dinner, but you notice that you're still thinking of unanswered emails, thinking of an upcoming work project. And so in an effort to redirect your focus, you maybe change the lighting, put on some music to help you relax. Music we know can do wonders to quiet down the mind. So if there's Mm -hmm. like a playlist that will help you stop thinking about like the never ending to-do list and just kind of focus on the music that can help. Yeah. Um, And then you, you know, go to the bedroom with your partner and now you feel like that struggle phase is evolving into the release phase as you spend extra time just caressing each other's body and kissing. And maybe there's that, there's not that immediate, you know, rush to the genitals or focus on the orgasm. So you're just kind of lingering, enjoying that skin to skin contact allowing your nervous systems to sync up, letting the mirror neurons do their thing. Um, You notice your breathing starts to slow. And as that happens, you begin to get aroused and you take things as far as you want to take. And before you know it, maybe you have a great orgasm and you laid it together next to each other afterwards. And you think about how wonderful the experience was and, and, that would be a good example. I think it makes you more excited to do it again the next time. Yeah. I mean, this is like a different conversation, but something that pops into my head is I imagine that people want or want to want to go into flow state on things that they enjoy. And so if you're having sex, that's not worth having, or if you don't like the sex, or like you were saying, if the challenge feels too great, you probably don't want to get into flow state on something that's not feeling up to par. Right, right. I mean, and forget whether or not you want to, like, you're just not going to be able to. I mean, because yeah. I mean, ele- flow means like you've, there's one of the eight components is intrinsic reward, meaning you are doing it for the pure joy of doing it because you mm. really enjoy whatever it is that you're doing. And if, yeah. yeah, if you're not enjoying the sex that you're having, you cannot expect to get into flow state. So, Part of the struggle is going to be, you know, if we're thinking not just like in the moment struggle, but longer term struggle, a lot of sexual communication and talking about likes and dislikes and, um, you know, but I think eventually where I try to get couples is moving past the need to like say everything out loud. Because once you get in sync, you know, just from a, sh- a subtle shift in your partner's body, like what they need in that moment. And that's what can create that feeling of synchronicity. Um, But yeah, in in the beginning, there's going to have to be a lot of talks about your likes and dislikes and what you need and that sort of thing. And that can be thought of as a struggle. You can't expect that to just be a one-time conversation. And now you've, you know, you can check the box on the struggle phase and enter into release and then flow. Like it's a longer process than that. Let's say you're in flow. What are some things that you've seen bring people out of flow? Like how does it, how does it get broken? How does it get interrupted? Well, the most common way it gets interrupted when you're having sex is because attention is broken. I would say whether that's, you know, a kid knocking on the door or a ping going off on your phone, or, you know, maybe you're just for whatever reason, you, it's just not going to happen that night. You know, you just Mm -hmm. can't quiet down the mind and you're, you cannot expect to get into a flow state every single time you have sex. I mean, that's just not realistic. I don't, you know, want people to feel discouraged if they don't Mm. get into flow every time. Yeah. Let's Um, normalize that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this is about, you know, hopefully 
the having the ability to get into it on a semi-regular basis and knowing that there are going to be times like one of my research participants said, like sometimes we just have edge of the bed sex and that's what they call just sort of a quickie. It's about a quick connection and more about a release and not necessarily seeking a transcendental life-changing experience. And that's okay. Um, But I think when we do have those times when we get into a flow, um, like I was saying before, that energy can carry over and, and sweeten sex that maybe otherwise wouldn't have been that great. Yeah. Like it's easier to trust that the deeper, bigger connections will come in to feel better about the more Mm -hmm. like appetizer. I don't want to say appetizer because I don't want to create a hierarchy, but maybe the like shorter quickie style sex. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That it doesn't have to be this, you know, existential thing every time. Exactly. Exactly. Precisely. I want to go back to what you were talking about with some of the like neurochemicals or the neuroscience in the difference between what was it? Was it mindfulness and embodiment or? No, between the honeymoon stage. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. yes. Let's talk about it. Cause like everyone's like, oh, I want sex like I did in the honeymoon stage. Yes. They're like, I want it back. I want to go back. Yeah. And I think when people hear this, they won't ask for that anymore. Thank you to our sponsors at NoCD. OCD is more than what you see on TV and in the movies. Imagine having unwanted thoughts about your sexuality stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away. Relationship OCD is an often overlooked subtype of OCD that comes with unrelenting intrusive images, thoughts, and urges about your partner, loved one, or sexuality. If you think you might be struggling with relationship OCD, there is hope. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. NoCD therapists are trained in exposure response prevention therapy, which is the gold standard of treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed specialty trained therapists. It's affordable and they accept most major insurance plans. Breaking the OCD cycle takes effective treatment. To get started, go to NoCD, that is N-O-C-D.com, NoCD.com to book a free 15 minute call. Now back to the episode. And a lot of my research participants, you know, I looked at people who had longer term relationships. None of them cited honeymoon stage as the best sex that they had had. They always talked about sex that happened later on. Okay. So let's talk about neurochemicals. And I like to use like a cocktail analogy. I have these great graphics that represent this, but we don't have those right now and that's okay. Okay. So during the honeymoon stage, you have, yeah, we could, we have a flood of norepinephrine, which creates that feeling of physical arousal. You get dopamine, which is the reward chemical. And you get oxytocin, which is that bonding hormone. Mm -hmm. However, you get a drop in serotonin. Okay. This is not necessarily a good thing. So people who have lower levels of serotonin have things like OCD and anxiety. And in the honeymoon stage, it's what causes that obsessive thinking about a new partner. And it actually makes you feel kind of anxious to have Mm -hmm. a depletion in serotonin. When you're in a flow state, you similarly get the norepinephrine and dopamine. You also get a chemical called anandamide, which is referred to as like the bliss molecule. You get endorphins, which help you forget pain. So this is why we're, when we're in a flow state, we forget that we're hungry. We forget to pee. We forget our aching knee. You get a boost in serotonin. So you get more serotonin as opposed to less. So less drop, less anxiety. Yeah. And in fact, an increased feeling of relaxation. Mm. And then, so that's what happens when you're in a flow state 
in any activity. But if you're in a flow state during sex, then additionally, you still get that oxytocin as a garnish, if you will. So you just get a lot more when you're in a flow state than you do when you're in the honeymoon stage. That's awesome. I love learning new things. And I I never, I've always framed it to clients as like, it won't be like that, but there's ways to have it be different and better. Um, And this like shows the science of it because I think so many people don't believe that. They're like, it's never going to be as good. Um, But I think then we're dealing with something else, right? Because people do have this sort of, um, some people really don't know how to function without chaos. Yeah. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I think there are people who do prefer the highs, the high highs and the low lows and the drop because maybe that's been something they've been used to or trauma Mm -hmm. or just Mm -hmm. like some maybe their body is seeking more dopamine and and what happens with that um and so i'm curious like are you seeing that there are still people who prefer the high highs and low lows the people who kind of are drawn to that more chaotic uh intensity yeah and intensity is the word right and i think a lot of people confuse intensity with intimacy and so people who have trauma in their histories or who yeah. grew up around a lot of chaos, chaos, like that's what their nervous system is used to. It's become Yeah, they learned that this them. is relationship. This is love. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think that's why a lot of people jump from relationship to relationship, because as soon as that honeymoon intensity starts to wear off and it transitions into intimacy, that's when the problems can show up. Mm-hmm. The rose colored glasses come off. They can start, you know, their old abandonment issues might get triggered or they might start to feel suffocated or engulfed by their partner and pull back, you know? So I think that's when people will then just jump back into seeking that honeymoon stage sex with a new partner. But what they're missing out on is the kind of feeling of deeper intimacy, the intensity that can be found in a deeper intimate connection, which comes with a feeling of safety and security. Yeah. So just to like, maybe help people see what can be on the other side are there any uh, anonymous uh, success stories, so, so to speak, um, that you can share or just like anecdotes about like how this does improve? I mean, I can I can make the connections for myself about like, yeah, it sounds nice to be more connected and have those that nice uh, cocktail of hormones and neurotransmitters yeah. happening. Mm-hmm. But like, what are some anecdotes that kind of help people see why this can be beneficial for sexual satisfaction and pleasure? So they're all going to be in my book, which is coming out next year. I got to leave people wanting okay. a little bit yeah, more. Give, give, me a, give me a small tease, a small <laughs> and then, tease. but enough to uh, have people buy the book. Yeah. So, you know, I did, I pivoted my work with clients. So to circle back to what I was saying before, you know, when couples would come back wanting more, like when they wanted me to take them from like that good sex to really great sex. You know, originally I thought like, that's just a certain je ne sais quoi, like a chemistry that only some couples are lucky to sustain for the long haul. But as I started applying some of the principles that I'm talking about here, I found that, yeah, I was able to help them have like really hot, passionate sex once again, which was really exciting to be a part of. And, you know, mind you, I started paying closer attention because 
at the time that this was falling on my radar, like I was in my own honeymoon stage and wanted to bottle the feeling that I was having. And so I was like, I got to write like a manual, (laughs) not just for other people, but for myself. Like I'm a sex therapist. I can't like settle for mediocre sex. Like I got to make sure we find out how to sustain this for the long haul. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it was really just a matter of applying some of the principles that we've talked about today and, um, really helping people shift their mindset about what makes a great sexual experience. Mm. Um, so this book is coming out 2024. Um, what else can people, they, so I have an online workshop that has a ton of information. And and so I break it down. The book is anatomy of desire, five secrets for lasting intimacy. So rather than go into like eight flow components, I talk about five secrets that I think are the strongest as it relates to sex and how people Mm can, um, achieve those. And I packaged it all into an online workshop. So that's that's available on my website. If people just can't wait for the book to come out, they can go. Yeah. I'm ready to take it. (laughs) Yeah. And there's tons of handouts and worksheets you can do on your own, or if you have a partner, you can do it, you know, with your partner. So, and, and this is not just for partnered sex. I mean, we, I think it's great to start on your own and with self-pleasure, especially as it relates Mm. to embodiment and learning to quiet the mind, like all of that is is good to practice on your own before bringing a partner yeah. into the mix. Oh yeah, any differences you've seen for getting into flow state solo and with a partner? I mean, I would say for me it's a lot easier to get into flow state with myself. Yeah. Um any other differences you've seen for folks or or overlaps? I would say that's the main one is that a lot of times yeah. people do have a little bit of an easier time. It's harder when you have to again not just focus on what's happening inside your own body body but also attune to the cues of your partner. So yeah. It just takes, I think, a little more practice and it it takes both people being on the same page. Um, one of the components that I've, I'm just now remembering is clear goals with immediate feedback. So everyone has to show up to the experience um, with the same goals in mind. So think of a group of musicians coming together. Like if someone is just not that interested in practicing, like it's going to affect the whole group. Mm-hmm. Everyone has to come ready to bring their A game and clear about what they're hoping to get out of the experience. Only then can a melody evolve into like a full-on jam session. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. the same applies, yeah, to sex, which is what can make it a little bit trickier when we're talking about partnered sex. Because if one person's just not really feeling it, it's going to be hard for you to get into flow as well. Yeah. What would be an example of some goals? Cause uh, you probably do the same where I try to take orgasm of the goal off the table. Cause that can feel more pressured. Um, mm-hmm. Is it like, okay, pleasure. Is it like, this is practice. Like what, what are some mm-hmm. examples of a shared goal value? Yeah. So this is where like, I'm kind of an outlier. Everyone, you know, most sex therapists talk about how important it is to avoid goal oriented sex. And I'm like, no, but set goals. <laughs> and so uh, yeah, I want, I want to hear about this difference. Cause maybe, yeah. maybe some people need it, the goal. Yeah. It's, you know, it's again, coming back to what I said before, it's not like you have to strike every, all of the eight components all at once, you know, yeah. to get into a flow state, you really only need to feel a few of them at any given time. But I do think that having clear goals about what you're wanting out of the sexual experience can be really beneficial. And maybe the focus is like, I really want to have a powerful orgasm this time. Like, what does your partner need to do in order to help you get there? Like, that's okay. Like, I really don't see a problem with that. If it's going to help you in the longer, in the long run to have orgasms more easily, like, I really don't see an issue with that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I and if, everyone... if you feel like having goals feels too pressured, I feel like 
even just using changing your language, like say intention yeah. instead. Intention. What's yes, our intention? I love it. Like let's it, have a shared value or a shared intention. I'm totally stealing that. I think that's such Good, a great yeah. frame. Yes, yes. Well, so it depends. Like your... some people like maybe the maybe more like cerebral people like the goal. And I think yeah. more sensual people might like the intention, intention of like, how do I want to feel versus what do I want to do? Like right, I, right. I noticed that for my like, um, I don't know if you work with like erotic blueprints, but mm-hmm. for folks who have listened to my episodes on erotic blueprints, um, if you're someone who's more of a sensual, I find that when I talk to them about like more of a yes, no, maybe list of like, what do you want to do? They sort of clam up a little more. They're like, uh-huh. do like, I don't know. Versus if I ask them, how do you want to feel? Then they're like, oh, I can answer this. That makes more sense to me. So Precisely. I, I do think different people and different languages are going to work differently for different folks. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And so, yeah, whether it's the goal, I mean, look at, you know, as I mentioned before, the one paper I did find was on couples who practice BDSM. They have very clear goals about whatever scene that they're playing in, right? There's a lot of rehearsal, not necessarily rehearsal, but a lot of communication and clarity about what they're expecting to get from that experience. And so we can learn a lot, I think, from from kinky folks when we're Mm -hmm. talking about how to have great, you know, quote unquote, vanilla sex or vanilla with sprinkles sex, if you want to think about it like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, there is a lot of goal setting and clear communication and feedback on whether or not the experience was working towards the goal or against that goal. Um, And so having that, I think, especially on the front end can help you get into a flow state. So as we start to wrap up here and let's say people are listening and they're like, I'm ready to start preparing to get into flow or I want flow. um, Where can they start? I would start with a conversation with your partner about Mm -hmm. how you want to enhance the sex that you're having. You know, is there anything that you need to work on to make if it's like not pleasurable for you or you feel like you're just really missing each other's sexual cues like there's going to be some preliminary dialogue maybe you need to have and some work like that's where sensate focus exercises can come into play just kind of getting you maybe out of old um, routines or scripts and things like that and then talk about okay I, I listened to this podcast and this is what she said about how to achieve a flow state like what do you think is doable for us what is a step that feels like a relatively simple first step for us to take and then making an agreement and starting to put some of these principles into play. It's, it's really, I think, simpler than a lot of people think when you shift the mindset. Yeah. I think kind of in the same vein of what you said, I would, I would say maybe first step is like checking what your like values are, right? Like, do you have a value in your life of prioritizing Mm -hmm. pleasure and, and a flow state and then checking with your partner, do we share that value? Because yeah. it's going to be hard to share in that flow state if you aren't finding a communal value, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I mean, if one person isn't really interested in having great sex, you know, there's not much you can do about that except point them to the research about how in most relationships, a quality sexual connection is important and yeah. informs the health of the relationship in most cases, not all the time. But um, I do think that there is a lot to be said for having good sex and working as a team to achieve that. Well, the other things you can do are to take Dr. Emily's classes. So where can people find you and check out your work and, and get started into flow state? 
Sure. So as I mentioned, I've got everything developed in an online workshop, which can be found on my website, emilyjamia.com. And I'm happy to give your subscribers a code they can use for 50% off. So just type in half off when you check out and you'll get half off the workshop. Oh, yes. Thank you. I love that. I'm putting sure. it on my to-do list right now. <laughs> yes. Watch it with my partner. Um, again, <laughs> listeners, if you want to follow what I'm doing, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars. Uh, you can listen anywhere you get your podcasts or at slutsandscholars.com. Please don't forget to rate and review. Check out those advertiser discounts and also stay tuned for my episode on the Love and Libido podcast with Dr. Emily. Thank you so much. Sluts and Scholars, a podcast for professionals who prioritize pleasure. Sluts and Scholars is a podcast produced by Sluts and Scholars Media, LLC. It is a shame-free educational podcast made for your entertainment and informational desires only. The podcast, any opinions we share, and any resources, including social media and emails from us, are not therapy, medical care, or professional advice, and do not create a patient-client relationship. None of the information, opinions, suggestions, resources, or exercises mentioned in this podcast should be used without clearance from your healthcare provider. All opinions, information, and ideas expressed by the guests are solely their own. If you need emergency mental health or medical help, please call 911 or 988 or go to your nearest emergency center. We hope you enjoy the show.